Well, we've been, um, as a church, preparing for the Christmas season, trying to prepare our hearts by going through an Advent series that highlights this amazing gift we've received in Jesus being our prophet, our priest, and our king. So as our prophet, he, he's the, the voice, the, the word of God, the voice of God, who tells us how we can be forgiven and how we can be reconciled to God. As our priest, he came to be that go-between that we need between a holy God and, and sinful man so that he can be our intercessor, our advocate, and even our sacrifice. He became our sacrificial lamb. And then as our king, he triumph, triumphantly went to battle against our two greatest enemies, sin and death, and defeated them soundly. And that was proven when he rose from the dead and ascended back to the Father, where he said he was going to prepare a place for us. And so we're looking forward to a time when our king returns in triumph to rescue us from this place and to establish his kingdom where he will rule and reign in justice forever. And we look forward to that. So prophet, priest, and king are all very prestigious and deserved titles. We understand why the Son of God would have those titles. But there's another title that's associated with Jesus that's not prestigious at all, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's not deserved either. And that's the title of servant. Listen to these mind-blowing words from the Gospel of Mark about Jesus. The Son of Man came not to serve... I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I just blew it, blew the whole thing. Start over. The Son of Man... (laughs) that, That changes everything, doesn't it? Sorry. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hearing Jesus called a servant should sound completely weird and even completely wrong. Jesus is God. He's a king. He's the creator. He made us. He shouldn't be our servant. That should be the other way around. We should be serving him. And it becomes even more profound when you consider what it meant to be a servant in this culture. This was the bottom of the barrel position. This was the most menial position there was. You were considered almost less than human, inferior to everybody else if you were a servant. So Jesus being placed in this category begs the question, how is it possible who has always existed in the form of God to take on the position or the form of a servant, especially to serve someone like me? This is the part that begins to blow my mind even more because I've offended God by my behavior, by my thoughts, by my actions. I don't deserve to be served by him at all. It doesn't make any sense why he would want to do that. I don't deserve his kindness. How many of you would serve somebody who treated you horribly, (laughs) willingly? You wouldn't want to at all, but Jesus does. And one of the most incredible passages in the Bible that helps us to see this demonstrated is at the Last Supper, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Now, now I want you just to think for a second about the disciples, the, the 12. Um, think about what these guys were like. Not exactly the cream of the crop, really. Not, not the dream team, so to speak. If you were to list out collectively the characteristics of these guys, it, it's kind of a bleak list. They constantly doubted. They repeatedly failed. They rarely trusted Jesus. They were fickle. They bickered, they argued, they whined, they complained. They were unfaithful. They denied knowing Jesus to get them out of trouble, trouble when it was necessary. They betrayed him and deserted him when Jesus needed them most. They repeatedly blew it and got it wrong. And I read this list of the collective things of these 12, and it's discouraging because this describes me. All of these things describes me. I can relate to this. I'm, 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 I'm this person. 
the disciples were a dysfunctional group of guys that represented the least likely people that Jesus would choose as his 12, let alone serve. So what he does for them at the Last Supper is astounding. But before we jump into that, I want to make sure we understand the the cultural context of what's happening here, because foot washing isn't something we'd normally do today. Um, But it was very common at this time. So walking was the normal way to get around. Sandals were the footwear of choice, and dirt was what the roads were made out of. And these roads were shared with people and animals alike. So you can kind of get a picture of, of, of what feet would have been like. Foot washing would have been very necessary in this, in this culture, especially before entering somebody's house for a meal. Now, I can't really relate to this a whole lot, but I, I thought of a time when I went camping one time, and I, I was wearing sandals all day, and it was a really dusty campground. And I remember at the end of the day just looking down at my feet and thinking, what have I done? You know, what, what has happened here? They were so grimy and so full of dirt and grossness. The last thing I would do would be to enter somebody's house and say, hey, I'm, you know, where's dinner with feet like this? It would have been disgusting. And especially when you think about the way these guys ate, because what we do is we come to a table and a chair and we kind of conveniently hide our feet under the table. That's not what these guys were doing. They laid on the ground around a low table. The food was placed out and they would kind of lay with their, they would recline with their head toward the table and the feet kind of out in a circle. So if you're going to sit down to a meal, you've got a lot of feet around you, which is not exactly appetizing. It doesn't create the, the ambiance maybe that you would want for a nice meal together. Now, Normally, foot washing was done by a servant right when you entered somebody's house, but not just any servant got this special job. The lowest servant was, was the one who did this. So if, if your business card said foot washer on it, there was nowhere to go but up in this society. Now, I don't know if you remember the Last Supper, Jesus had told his disciples to arrange this dinner, get the place, set it all up and everything. And they, so they did that. They arranged everything, but apparently forgot to get a servant to wash everybody's feet when they arrived. And so, you know, it would have been normal to have a basin and towels there. This was part of the the culture. Um, But without a servant, who is going to do the dirty deed? And and I can just picture, you know, you think about what the disciples are like. They're probably standing around, you know, looking at each other's feet and then looking up at each other and thinking, who's it going to be? Who's the foot washer among us? And, and if you know the story of the disciples, you know that they, they were kind of jockeying for position. They, they would argue about who would be the greatest. Even two of them would say, hey, Jesus, when, we, when you get into the kingdom, they got their mom to come actually and do their, their, their bidding for them. But when we get to the kingdom, hey, what if one of us sits at your right hand and one at your left? Well, would, that be, would that be cool? So they were already trying to establish this pecking order. And so at this point, if you become the foot washer of the group, you're done. You're not sitting by the right or left hand of Jesus. You're the foot washer. So they were holding fast. They weren't going to, nobody's going to budge at this point. And this is where we read about one of the most astonishing things that I think the scripture contains. In John 13, 3, it says, Jesus rose from supper. He, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wrapped around him. This is incredible. This is the last person in that room that should have been doing the foot washing. In in fact, this is the last person in the world that should have been doing this. And then he comes to Simon Peter, which you you just got to love Simon Peter. Peter's my, he's, he's Peter, you know. Jesus comes to him and and Peter says to him, Lord, will you wash my feet? 
You see, he's, he's kicking back. He understands the magnitude of this, and he understands this shouldn't be happening. And he always had a, he was the one that was willing to speak up and, and kind of put his foot in his mouth. But Jesus answered back, and he said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And then Peter doubles down. <laughs> he's like, no, no, I don't care if I understand or not. You will never wash my feet, is what he says to Jesus. Never, not today, not anytime. It's not happening, not gonna do it. But listen to what Jesus says to him. This is so important. If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Now, Jesus just made a switch from the physical to the spiritual. He's not talking about feet anymore. He's talking about something way more important than this. Way more disgusting than gross feet. Because he's talking about going to the cross, which would be far more degrading and far more humiliating than what's going on in this room right now. But, but if he doesn't wash Peter at the cross, Peter has no place with him. Peter thought it was beneath Jesus to wash his feet. Well, he ain't seen nothing yet because Jesus is going to go to the cross and go through far worse than this by taking the filth of their sins upon himself. So we go back to the big question, why would Jesus lower himself to become a servant? And I want to point out something that's, that's extremely important here. There's a huge difference bet- between being forced to serve and wanting to serve. And you need to understand that everything Jesus did, including dying on the cross, he did because he chose to do it. And then I ask the question, why would you do this for someone like me? Why would you do this? And three things came to mind. Serving is an act of love. Serving is an act of humility. And serving is an act to emulate. So the first one is serving is an act of love. And I I couldn't help but think of uh, one of our family's favorite movies that, that we all, uh, we love and watch a lot when it comes to serving as an act of love. If you haven't seen this movie, I don't know if we can be friends, but, but we'll talk later about this. Uh, in this story, there's a young woman who takes a great deal of pleasure in ordering her farm hand around. And so she will say to him, farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. Farm boy, fetch these pitchers for me. Fill these pitchers. And every time she asks him to do something, no matter what, he simply says to her, okay, we can be friends, as you wish, right? One day the lights come on and she realizes that every time he says, as you wish, what he's actually saying is, I love you, right? Now you guys are going, wait, hey, you guys tricked, you tricked me, Brent. This is, is this going to be a kissing sermon? No, it's not. It's not going to be that at all. The point I'm getting at is that Jesus is, is not serving us because he has to. He's serving us because he wants to. He, he takes great pleasure in it because he loves you. Isn't that amazing to think about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the, the good news of Christmas, the good news of the gospel. Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to lay his life down for you, to take your sins upon himself and to pay the debt that you owed because he loves you. You know, there's this old Michael Card song. I don't know if you guys know this artist. When I became a Christian, uh, I was working at a radio station and I found one of these albums and I started listening to it. And it's a song called Why. And he's asking about why Jesus went to the cross. Why did he do these things? And one of the lines in the song, when I, when I first time I heard it, I started weeping because it just, well, I, I do that pretty easily if, you're, if you know me, but, but it's such a good line. He says, and why did they nail his hands and feet? His love would have held him there. 
and it's just so profound to me. Jesus willingly grabbed a basin and a towel to wash the feet of his disciples because he loved them, and he willingly grabbed a cross and walked up a hill with it because he loves you and I. His love led him to the cross so that we could be washed and cleansed from our sins. And this is really important because Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 says this, nothing unclean will ever enter God's kingdom. Now, if, you, if you're like me, I read that and think, uh-oh, because I'm, I'm unclean and, and I can't fix that. I need somebody to clean me or I'm not going to make it into the kingdom. That's what this is telling me. At the heart of Christianity is the truth that we all need to be washed, and it isn't something we can do for ourselves. We can't make ourselves presentable to God, but Jesus can. One of the great misnomers I think I've run into with people is they think they need to get cleaned up. They need to clean themselves up before they can come to church or before they can come to God. And, and that's, that's ridiculous. You know, the three pastors here tested that theory out when we came in. It's like the roof didn't cave in on us, so you guys are probably okay, right? <laughs> If there was a way for you to clean yourself up, why, why would Jesus have come? He wouldn't have needed to. So our job is to acknowledge our condition, our filth, our sinfulness. His job is to make us clean. And if the Son of God makes you clean, you are clean indeed, sparkling, pure, pristine. But if Jesus has not washed you clean, just as he told Peter, you have no place with him. You have no place with him. And that includes the kingdom of heaven. So serving is an act of love. Serving is also an act of humility. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a situation where um, somebody did something that was way beneath them and you kind of saw it, um, you know, like the CEO of a company emptying a garbage, that kind of thing. I went to work for a company in Spokane years ago. Uh, I was working in Idaho, went to a larger company. And shortly after I got there, I sprained my ankle. And I remember the owner of this company, uh, people had kind of told me he's a, he's a mean guy. He's kind of scary. Stay away from him. And so, I, you know, okay, no problem. So I'm hobbling through the hallway one day and he sees me and he's like, oh, what's going on? And I, I lifted up my leg and kind of showed him. I kind of tried to wrap it with one of those goofy wrap things they give you. And, and he goes, oh, come here, sit down. So he sat me down in a chair, and he, he carefully lifted my leg up and put it onto his lap and uh, took my shoe off carefully and, and unbandaged it. And he's talking to me and asking me how I did it. And then he, he carefully just wraps it really well and puts my shoe back on and, and sends me on my way. But I just remember thinking, wow, it left an impression, you know, that he would humble him, the owner of the company. I'm the newbie. I'm, not, I'm nobody. He would do this for me. It blew my mind. But, but now think about the creator of the world doing this for you. Jesus doing this for you. It doesn't make sense that he would humble himself like this, that he would put our needs and interests before his own, that he would be meek. You know, in our society today, we, we, meekness, humility is almost like a bad thing. It's turned into something that's, that's not virtuous, and I don't understand it. Because it's, it's not a weakness. It's not wrong to have... Um, you know, a low view of yourself in that, in that regard. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And if it wasn't too much for him to stoop low to serve us, shouldn't we be willing to do the same for others? Philippians 2 tells us to consider others more important than ourselves and to, to put their interests ahead of our own. That's hard to do. But 
Christian, we're living in a time when this doesn't happen anymore. We're living in a time where somehow putting yourself first has become the greatest virtue. It's gross. I don't understand how it's happened. But people have, have said, in order to be happy, in order to be contented, you need to put yourself first. You need to love yourself more than anything else and anyone else. This is the path to happiness. Well, if that were true, we should see a lot of happy and contented people around us right now. And I don't think it's working, to be honest. I think maybe, maybe that's not the answer. Maybe they've got it wrong. Because Jesus had every right to put himself first, but he did the exact opposite. He put himself second. His kingdom's not like this world. It's upside down and backwards from everything we think is right. So in Jesus' economy, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. He says that humiliation will lead to exaltation. And this is what his followers should be known for if we're following our leader, right? So that brings us to the last one, that serving is an act to emulate. When Jesus got done washing his disciples' feet, this is what it says in John 13, 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, we don't live in a culture where foot washing is a thing or necessary. Um, I've, I've, I've talked to people who have done this, and apparently it's a very moving experience, so maybe there's a time and place for it. But we definitely still need the same posture an attitude of a foot washer. <laughs> and that, that would be the question I have for you. Are you willing to put yourself second for the sake of others? Are you willing to serve God as an act of love and worship because he's done this for you? You know, that's the beautiful thing about Christianity is, is we, don't, we don't have to serve. We get to serve. We don't have to earn anything with God. You know, it, it's, it's really a response not a requirement, because Jesus took care of the requirements for us so that we could be free to just serve him and worship him as an act of love and obedience. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, right? Have you, have you known? I mean, isn't that true? Isn't it the best thing in the world when you, when you give with, without any expectation and, and you, you surprise somebody with something like that? I, I know for um, most of the Christians that I know and I talk to, we all agree that when we stand before Jesus, there's a phrase we all want to hear, all right? Well done, good and faithful servant. servant. See, I get the well done thing. I want that. I want well done, Brent. Well done. I want to hear that. I want to hear faithful. You've been so faithful, Brent. That's great. It's that last word that just I kind of just leave out, right? Servant? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the key to this, though. That's the key to this verse. That part's important. When you look back on your life, what's going to matter the most? And I would tell you it's this. It's what you do with Jesus and what you do with the life he's gifted you. So this Christmas, today, as you spend the day and you go home and you, you get involved in different things, remember what God has done for you. Don't ignore it. Don't take it for granted. But really contemplate it. Really hold it out in front of you and think about it. God sent his son Jesus to be your prophet, your priest, 
your king, and your servant. He's given you everything. Christ has come down from his heavenly glory in love to serve you. Receive that. Don't be like Peter. You'll never wash me. No, receive it. You need it. And if he cleans you, you're clean indeed. Don't forget that. Father, thank you so much that we have this passage of Scripture of of, um, the God of the universe coming down into the form of man and then washing the feet of his creation. And more than that, going to the cross to die for sinners so that we can be clean. Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here today that's, that's never been washed clean, that, that right now, as an act of faith, they would humbly bow in their hearts before you and acknowledge that they can't clean themselves. But through Jesus' work on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, they can be clean by trusting in that, the work that you've done for them. So Lord, help us to be the greatest Christmas that we've experienced because we, we, we just include you in it and think about you and what you've done for us because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.